it's easier to live in a low willpower environment. And so think about it this way. If you walk into the kitchen and there's like, and your kitchen looks like Starbucks, it's really hard <laughs> yeah. to say no. <laughs> so I know myself really well and my self-control is not that high. It's actually pretty low. So I know if the food is at home and I have like 10 cookies or let's say 10 donuts and one is for one donut a day or one donut every two days, it's not going to happen. I will eat 10 donuts in one or two days. So because I know that I will not buy it. So there is no really zero of these processed foods at home, zero of these foods that I know will not benefit me. And if I really crave it or want it, then I need to put my clothes on, my shoes on and so on and go out there and go and get it. And now I will have to rethink it. Do I really want to get out? Do I really want to walk 50 minutes? So, mm, and that helps a lot. Research shows when you have a beer in the fridge and it's right when you open it, you crave it three times more. When you hide it and you don't see it, it's three times less. It's crazy, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, welcome. So if you're watching this uh, on recording and then obviously with, with the few that are here live. Um, and I've talked about Morrow a bit with all of you, a little bit of a journey that I've been on since I think we started in March. March yes, April, correct. March. March. March um, with Maro and had been following him for a for a while, right? Uh, kind of in the background, and and uh, his his master copy and his posts uh, got me one day while while the motivation was high to, to make some changes. So I'm glad I have, but uh, wanted to bring him in. Uh, he's he's been amazing and a wealth of knowledge, obviously. Um, and uh, you know, because I know it's it's an area for almost all of us that we struggle with and our health, our fitness, our nutrition. And so thank you for you guys that, that did put a few questions to give him to think about. And then I'm sure there might be a few more. I probably have a couple uh, and we'll, is an hour work for you or what works for you tomorrow? Yeah, an hour is fine. Or If we go a little bit over, then that's okay. 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 Yeah. All right, cool. I want to respect your time, but yeah. So thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you want to kind of step into some of the questions or if, you know, maybe you have some overall thoughts that you want to share first, like most, what's most important when people are, you know, again, to give you an idea too, I know you work just with men, but we have men and women inside of my coaching program, but uh, outside of them being man or female, um, you know, they are for the most part, business owners, entrepreneurs. Um, so very similar to your, your clientele and busy stressed, you know, getting pulled in a number of different directions. And then on the same, on top of all of that, right. Wanting to figure out, you know, and find time and have the discipline and then in the correct knowledge and the plan to, to look good and feel good too. Right. So um, you tell me what you'd want, if there's a few things you want to kind of just open with or if we should hop into some of those questions that you got yeah let's start with the questions i believe people will always get most value from the specific questions they have to their unique situation and then we can go from there 
Yeah, you bet. All right. Well, uh, I know one of the first questions that we gotten was, um, uh, it says, I'm a snacker. I love to snack. So what are some healthy, sweet, salty options uh, for snacks? And then I do tend to snack more out of boredom. So any suggestions there? Yeah, I, I saw that one. And the the thing with snacking is always, or or the, the answer to that question is really, there, there are multiple directions, right? The first thing, Howie, did, did you copy paste that question? Or did you word it, phrase I, it? I copy pasted it. Yeah. Okay. Is this person on the call? Uh, I think, is this Michelle? Is this your question? I think I, th I wanted to say, Michelle, it was yours. Uh, you're muted, though. If not, I'll take credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> we, okay. So it doesn't matter what Michelle question, might not be in a place thought... where she can talk. But yeah, I think it was her question. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I thought, uh, it would be easier, but the thing is the, the way the person described the question was, I am a snacker and yeah. we know that I am statements are based on identity. It's not, I like snacking. I tend to snack. I am a snacker. I am a smoker. I am rich. I am broke. Right. So it's how we see ourselves and it's very hard to change a behavior that's different from our identity. So the question is, if you see yourself as a snacker, what's the benefit? I would first look at that. There's always like a benefit there to it. Like a smoker, this, the benefit there is you can socialize. You can talk with people. Hey, you know, you have some fire. It's yeah. very easy to open conversations, even as a woman right uh we're or especially as a woman we're as a man it may be easier but as a woman you don't want to hit up guys if you're single or most women don't want but like can have some fire it's very easy to just you know uh break the ice and then let the guy take over uh, i know that when i was more active in you know nightclubs or bars and the same is here like what's the benefit of snacking for that person uh and then realizing, okay, there may be a way to achieve the same outcome without the snacking. Because what I'm hearing is they're not really looking for alternative snacks, but stopping the snacking because they know I'm snacking on not so good yeah, things. Right. Right. So it first starts uh, on the identity level, the big change. And then the second thing is we, we really don't want to snack. Too much because every time you snack your blood sugar goes up and what do we snack on sugar sweets yeah. right yeah. processed stuff and so you are then on that roller coaster all the time and your body gets so used to using that sugar as fuel and isn't that used to using fat as fuel fat from nutrition or fat from body fat. And so you become what's called metabolic inflexible, right? So you go two, three hours without eating something sweet and your blood sugar crashes. You feel like, oh, I'm going to have to lay down on the streets, right? Like, like yep. a diabetic. And that's why we don't want to snack all the time, rather push it to like three, maybe four big meals a day. Could even be two if that really adheres better to the person but two is hard to hit most of your goals so three to four bigger meals is fine 
And if you really want that snack, then I would add it at the end of the meal, right? The, every time you add something at the end of the meal, it will, have a, it will have less impact on your blood sugar. So what you eat first, you start your meal, will have the most impact, right? So if you have like a piece of cake or a candy that you want, and you should have, it should be, you should be able to incorporate that into your strategy. I would have it always at the end, not at the beginning, right? Okay. Yeah. Now, if the person still wants to snack and, you know, maybe they're traveling and need something there, then I would always go with protein options. They keep you full. Uh, protein controls or helps you control your hunger a lot. So protein bars, a protein shake, beef jerky. Nate, we talked about that. Beef jerky is yeah. really good. Make sure you get like a quality one when you have beef jerky, not some you know, something with sugar and tons of chemicals, like really grass-fed beef jerky, then uh, it depends where the environment is, but like a Greek yogurt is really good. Some cottage cheese, if the person likes that. Nuts could also be helpful. Eggs, like a boiled egg, depends on the person. Uh, again, if it's like in the office, it works. If you're traveling, you can't really put a boiled egg in your pocket, but... Uh, yeah. Please don't. Uh, yeah, please don't. <laughs> so those would be snacks. Again, I know people say fruits, but uh, I've just seen it so many times. You have a banana as a snack. 30 minutes later, you're hungry, blood sugar's up. It's like, what do I have next? So not my first choice there. Always think like, what is protein rich? And I can have. But I, I believe you shouldn't crave snacks if your strategy is optimized and you have like a really solid meal that you feel full it's like hey i'm good and i can wait until the next meal unless you're like very very lean like if you go from like 12 13 to 10 percent body fat you will think a lot more about food that's just the end and there's very little fat left but most people are not there so they should not really feel that hungry and I, I can't speak lot. for yeah go ahead sorry i can't speak for michelle but I, I know that when it comes to my snack and it's really a habit born out of boredom mm-hmm. um it's not that i'm hungry it's just it's, it's a bad habit because i'm bored so what you're saying is instead of breaking that habit substitute the habit at first with something healthier yes it's a lot easier to modify a habit than to break it so if someone has always most people want to snack at night or they have those late night cravings. And I always say, mm-hmm. modify it first. Have like a Greek yogurt with some honey, some blueberries, uh, have some fruits there. That's where you should have them. And that's already a good change. And then you can always work on it. But most cases, that's fine. Like if you have like a Greek yogurt there, for most people, it works really well. And uh, it will solve the issue. Yeah. But uh, I agree, it's... A lot of people feel bored, especially when they're at home watching TV. Everyone in the family is having chips or snacks. It's like, man, I got to have something, right? So either you plan for that or you plan for the substitution that you will have. Or then you will have to rely on willpower. And willpower is never a good long-term strategy for most people. Like Nate has a lot of willpower, but uh, not many people have as much willpower as Nate has. 
you know, I, what I found though, it, it's not easy. I mean, cause I was, yeah, I was, I, I was a snacker and I would just like boredom or whatever you call it, or I don't, I don't, you know, probably boredom or maybe just being in the vicinity of food, right? Like just being in the kitchen and just, you know, just being like, oh, I'm just going to grab a handful of this or I'm going to grab that. But then, you know, when you, when I come on board with you and your program and you have us like start to track everything, like that's probably why I've never wanted to track because I know that I eat way more than I need to. Right. And so, but when I really started to track everything, you realize how many calories are, are in even a handful of nuts or just, or a small little snack or a protein bar. Like you eat a protein bar and it's like, when you only got 1800 calories, that's 200 easy calories gone like already. And it's like, all right, now what am I going to do for the rest of your day? And so when you really start to pay attention to the details, I guess it would say, if you're really getting serious about like your nutrition and what you're putting in your body and making those calories count, right. That, which is another thing that you learn, like you can, it feels like certain foods you can almost have more of, which makes you feel like you're eating more than you are. So there's a lot of different levels to this that I've, I've really learned, but it, I've also learned it just takes time to, to get yourself to really, like you said, build those new habits. Definitely. I would even add two things here to the snacking. And in general, <clears throat> it's uh, and I have to give for one of these things, I have to give credit to um, what's his name from uh, the book Atomic Habits. Yeah, uh, I forgot his name. But uh, he, he had like a quote there, a phrase where he said, it's easier to live in a low willpower environment. And so think about it this way. If you walk into the kitchen and there's like, and your kitchen looks like Starbucks, it's really hard <laughs> yeah. to say no. <laughs> so I know myself really well and my self-control is not that high. It's actually pretty low. So I know if the food is at home, and I have like 10 cookies or let's say 10 donuts and one is for one donut a day or one donut every two days, it's not going to happen. I will eat 10 donuts in one or two days. So because I know that I will not buy it. So there is no really zero of these processed foods at home, zero of these foods that I know will not benefit me. And if I really crave it or want it, then I need to put my clothes on, my shoes on and so on and go out there and go and get it. And now I will have to rethink it. Do I really want to get out? Do I really want to walk 50 minutes? So, mm, and that helps a lot. Research shows when you have a beer in the fridge and it's right when you open it, you crave it three times more. When you hide it and you don't see it, it's three times less. It's crazy, isn't it? So yeah. the visual cue is the first trigger to many desires. Think about it. You walk to the kitchen, you just want to fill up some water like I did before this call, and you see there like a chocolate croissant. It's like, oh, fuck, I got it, you know? But if it's not there, you wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. So that your environment plays a huge role. And the other thing is... <clears throat> You should track your food before you eat it. I know for some people, this idea sounds crazy. And they say like, ah, oh, no, like I can't do that. And But listen, if you do that, I guarantee you, your behavior will change faster 
than you can ever imagine. Why? Why is that? Well, when you track it before you eat it, you see the direct impact, meaning the consequences. And what happens is you insert time. And when you insert time, meaning you track and you haven't eaten it, it's like 30 seconds, one minute, that time allows you to insert future-based logic. And mm-hmm. now you can make rational decisions instead of irrational. Most people will eat and then they track. And then it's like, oh, I went over my calories. Well, when you have a marketing budget or a sales budget, you first plan for the year and say, we're going to allocate this for ads, this for SEO, this here, this here, this here. We don't just spend them by the end of the year. We see, we check all the receipts like, oh, we overspent by a million. Well, what should we do now? No, like it doesn't make sense, right? Same as with your nutrition. Yeah, that is powerful. And because there's been plenty of times where I eat, then track and I'm like, oh, shoot. (laughs) But then, you know, as I've started, as I've heard you say that, I I put it in quick and then I'm like, all right, well, maybe, all right, now I'm going to have half of this instead of the whole thing whatever right and it has you reconsider the choice it uh yeah something about it makes it easier too like i think it's you know just what you said so Mm -hmm. yeah definitely tracking i'm a huge believer in tracking food now and i was always a big resistor to it um but now it's just i've been doing it for so long now that it's just don't even think about it anymore i just part of what i do you know so yeah and you don't have to do it forever. Yeah. You hit your goal. You set a new goal. Typically, after you hit your, your second goal, like in the muscle building phase, I mean, you can continue tracking, but for most people, they've done it so long, you can eyeball it. And know. You get away pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's come to uh, this one for sure is Lush's. Um, this you want you want to take this one, Lasha? Uh, the semaglutide is that right? No, semaglutide. So <laughs> there you go, glutide. Yeah, semaglutide. It's um, I, I do Biohacks Institute, which is like a uh, a wellness clinic uh, or longevity clinic, I guess you could say. And so I, I get my testosterone through them. I get <clears throat> a lot of injections, like ascorbic acid, sesame oil. Uh, but anyways, well, the one thing that they're not, I wouldn't say that they're not a fan of, it's for pure aesthetic reasons, is the semaglutide injections. And really, it's for uh, folks with di- that have diabetes, uh, and they utilize it as an appetite suppressant. And it works. Um, you don't want to eat uh, to the point where I, I vomited because I was so sick from taking it. I took too much. Um, do you have any opinions on taking semaglutide and right now it's, it's all over the news as this, uh, not it specifically, but just things like it, like Ozempic and these diabetic injections as a great weight loss, um, medication. So I had to actually look it up when Nate sent it to me because I never heard about it. And it's exactly what you said. Like it helps with blood sugar control. So I believe there are natural ways to control your blood sugar levels where you wouldn't need that. Like I've worked with many type two diabetic, I would say about 40, 35, 40% of my clients are pre-diabetic. 
So A1C levels higher than 5.6 and uh, fossil blood glucose higher than 100. And none of them are on any medication or appetite suppressor. So the way you control blood sugar levels is typically when you, you, you control carbohydrates, right? Uh, when, because let, let me actually, let me see just one second. Uh, Nate, can you allow me to screen share? Yeah. There we go. All right, it should be good. Perfect. So you can see here that every time you eat, your blood sugar goes up with everything, right? So fruits, starches, fibers go up pretty high and then protein fats less. So if we know that, then we know that we can start our day with protein and fats. So like eggs, cheese, avocado, whey protein. And then we can continue our day with protein, maybe some light veggies, maybe a little bit of fiber. So like chicken, beef, fish, protein source here, animal protein, and maybe again, some fibers. So like lentils, beans they just spike blood sugar levels less but that would even go with veggies and then later in the day <coughs> sorry later in the day uh you can have fruits and starches at night and then you'll go to bed anyways and chances of overeating are a lot less right so that's your natural appetite suppressor right there if you eat enough protein, then you should also not have any um, hunger or cravings like with enough protein. Uh, there are other things like water intake as well is important, sleep. But the biggest thing is really looking at the time you eat carbs, your protein intake, and also the sequence, like the order you eat foods, right? So veggies, protein first, fibers and fats. And then at the end, really simple carbs, like the fruits, uh, white rice would come at the end. But again, for most people, it is, isn't even necessary to have that much complexity. If you just stick to that, like I would really time the carbs by the end of the day. And if that is still hard to control your appetite, then you may have to do like keto for one. I'm really not a big fan of it, but I'm a fan of it to time it for a while until you get to a point. You do like keto for, you know, one month, two months, and then you introduce carbs and then see how your body does with it. And appetite should be a lot better than um, as you've lost more fat, the leaner you get and so on. Yeah. Uh, but again, that like, it's a hard question. I know you asked about that medication. We'll get into that in just a second. I just want to give people a perspective on that. But it would depend also 
on the person. Like if someone says they're always hungry, I would need to look at all their stats. Maybe you're just under eating. You know, if, if I eat a thousand calories, I would be hungry as well. I'm not saying you do that just in general. So that's just where I would direct people to first in terms of uh, hunger, self-control there. Uh, in terms of that medication, I mean, if it really helps you with blood sugar control and it gets you to the outcome you want, and there's really no other way and you've tried all the ways, that's certainly better than staying type 2 diabetic. It means if you, you're not anymore type 2 diabetic or pre-diabetic and you're lean, you maybe even have a six-pack. But always ask yourself, what happens if I stop that? So if you stop, will you then have like, you know, hunger attacks again? And if that's the thing, I, I couldn't take it uh, consistently because when I did take it, I didn't like the way it made me feel. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it did a good job of suppressing my appetite, but it, it, it made me feel disconnected in a way. And there was one time I, I took too much because I you're supposed to work up to 20 units. And I did, <clears throat> but I, I stopped and I was like, I don't like the way this makes me feel. And I stopped for two months and then. I somehow I convinced myself, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get back on it. And I started right back at 20 units instead of working my way back up to it. And I ended up getting sick. Uh, it made me nauseous. So I haven't taken it since. Um, it, it's just the, that one thing that this doctor said, I, I'm only going to give this to you because for pure aesthetic reasons, you know, something if you want to take for 90 days, this will definitely knock off 15 or 20 pounds, but it's not something because I'm not pre-diabetic. Uh, okay. he's, he's like, this isn't something I want long-term for you. Um, and it made me think of something else while you were talking to, oh, so I have a buddy at the office and I might be skipping ahead here, Nate, but, um, he's talked about the carnivore diet. And, you know, when I look at diets, I, I, that's the one that kind of attracts me because I think that's one I could stick to where I'm just eating protein for a while and then incorporate some fats and stuff like that. But, uh, I feel like I could stick to that one and I wouldn't snack a whole lot if i stuck to a carnivore diet or are you a fan or or i guess it, it depends on the, the person yeah so carnivore is not just protein carnivore is uh very high fat as well like you eat a lot of fatty meats <clears throat> that's how you get the calories in so it's like it's almost keto but more extreme and it, it, the the carnivore diet has been pushed like by two guys a lot, Sean Baker and uh, Paul Saladino. And Paul Saladino wrote the book, The Carnivore Code. And then he had like pretty bad blood work because his SHBG levels, which um, bound your free testosterone and free testosterone is the t testosterone that um, is freely circulating and bioavailable in your body that your body can use to build muscle mass and um, optimized fat loss. Um, so that was bounded, but that gets bounded by SHBG. And his SHBG was like through the roof, like a teenager girl. And uh, that was really bad. And why is that? Because when you eat only protein and fats and no carbs, your body will almost release no insulin. And um, you need insulin to release free testosterone and lower SHBG a little bit. And if you don't have that, then SHBG is through the roof. So what he did then was introducing fruits, right, to it. And then it got better. Um, so again, 
if you ask carnivore yes or no, if you've tried every approach and nothing sticks, it's good to start with. But I have, I've just not seen anyone sustain it long-term. Like think about you go out with Nate, you eat something and uh, you can have your steak. You know, you have a ribeye, 16 ounces, great meal, one of the day. And then you may want to have an ice cream and you really beat yourself up because you can't have it. It's like, well, your strategy should incorporate to have a little bit of that ice cream, maybe not five bowls, but maybe one small one or a half, right? That you can enjoy. So yeah, if it's like carnivore was and keto or like both very extreme and they're, they have been invented actually by, um, I don't know. I think it was keto by John Hopkins University. Um, no, sorry. I don't know if they were invented or labeled as that, but they were there for people with like some serious health issues. I think it was even for Parkinson and people with MS because they're typically the lowest inflammatory diets. And it's not because of the meat. Again, meat is great, if, especially if it's high quality. It's because of all the things you leave away. <clears throat> and it's very easy for people to remember just eat meat right uh or meat and eggs so they don't have to think a lot but um the real reason why it's so anti-inflammatory is because of all the things you leave away so it's elimination diet it's like i i could also tell just eat eggs just eat fish just eat eggs and then slowly you incorporate things again but if your blood work doesn't show any autoimmune issues and you're fine like you should be able to stick to uh just a more broader diet right because there are many benefits to it like you may be also micronutrient deficient if you just eat meat and don't eat organs right like organs is a must if you're a carnivore to not become micronutrient deficient Cool. Um, let's see the next one here. One was asking about stress and hormones as you get older and how to balance out uh, stress, uh, balance both out and stress techniques that you could possibly combine with working out. Mm -hmm. So the first one is like balancing out hormones. Yeah. Th that would really depend on the blood work. There's no uh, such thing as like balancing it out. It's just, Let's look where you're at and let's optimize what needs to be optimized or keep doing what you've been doing in that area. So I would recommend get a blood test. <laughs> There's the life extension weight loss panel. It's pretty good and comprehensive and good to start with. And then you'll see where you're at there. And I would not just go with the, with the medical ranges because they're pretty broad and they will just say like, oh, you know, you should be here. But remember, these blood tests are done with like 120 people. And if you look in the US, 79, 80% are overweight or obese. So you're comparing yourself to a lot of people who are unhealthy, sick, and you take the average from there. Well, really your blood work should be compared to top performers, elite athletes to see how can I get to the peak especially if you're working with nate i don't think you want to be average 
you you want to be elite, right? That's right. Yeah. Then so so that's in terms of that. Always get the blood work, especially also with supplements. Like people ask me a lot of times, like what supplement should I take? And man, that really depends on your blood work. Like people will throw tons of things there, but like especially like vitamin D, great supplement. But if you're not deficient, like why would you supplement it? Right. Yeah. Right. So I would get that checked first. And then as far as stress goes, there are many things you can do. So they're like the basics, meditation, food and four breathing through the nose, right? You're breathing really, when you focus on your breathing, you cannot think at the same time. And your thoughts will create a lot of times stress. It's like you're too much in the future, too much in the past, you're anxious, you're depressed. So all these feelings that you get or create from your thoughts. So if you stop those thoughts and just focus on your breathing, that already calms you down. That's like a quick fix, intermediate hack, works really well. Long-term, you need to identify what's stressing me out. Is it money? Like most people, especially for men, most problems come from money. Mm -hmm. I would even say about 90%. Money or women. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but most issues are money, right? Like you're working too long hours. What's the solution there? Well, if you could hire someone, right? Uh, this happened at work and so on. A lot of times it's money. But I would look at, what is causing that and how can you improve that to lower it? Um, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's somewhere else, maybe it's with your house, you know, landlord, whatsoever. Look at that. And walking is also very beneficial, but not inside at the gym, outside in nature, no mobile, no podcast, nothing. Focusing your breathing. Listen to the birds. I know that sounds like <clears throat> weird a little bit. Uh, well, humans, you know, used to do that, or that that was like day to day life. It's very real. Though. Not it's so true. Sorry, I said it's. I, yeah, it may sound that way, but it's like super true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, someone says like, go out, listen to the birds. Like yeah. that guy's crazy. But it's like, yeah. I'm. What I'm saying is just going like a park in nature listen to the birds there and uh, maybe if a dog, you know, take uh, that dog for a walk in nature and don't just be on your phone all the time when you're out or listening, just focus your breath, observe the environment and your stress levels will go down. But a lot of times it's looking at what is causing those stress levels to be high. And for most entrepreneurs, it's fear because they have a scarce mindset that they're going to go broke, right? Like what's the, like all entrepreneurs I know, or almost all of them, when I ask them what's the worst thing that could happen is like, well, I have to go back and work nine to five for someone else. And so that's the biggest fear, losing it all. No matter how many millions you have or have made it's, or how many customers you, <clears throat> I'm sorry. How many customers you have, it's always 
that fear there, that underlying fear, like, what if I lose it all? What if this? What if that? And that's normal. That's okay. I don't think we can all eliminate it by 100% forever, but we can minimize it by working on our mind and knowing, hey, uh, the chances of that happening is actually low and it's in my control. And if I get better, the odds are stacked for me uh, even more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I got one for you. Cause I, you know, I travel a lot and this is something that we've seen for me and, you know, there's a fair amount of people in the group that same thing, you know, on the road, a good amount. And it can be, I don't want to ever call any of it easy, but it can be easy to get in a gr good groove and routine when you're home. Um, but then when you're traveling, especially if you're traveling to different places, right? If you're traveling to the same place frequently, then that's almost like a, a normal routine. Um, it should be a little bit easier for you to manage that. But, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you make good choices? How do you stay on track? Uh, keep the progress that you have or keep, keep making the progress uh, while you're on the road. Cause I know you have a lot of clients, not just me that probably fall into that category. The first thing is, is work on your mind there. And what I mean by that is when you're traveling, you, one, you have to reset the expectation. So the expectation during the travel is not to hit new PRs and hit new lows all the time. It's first to keep the progress you've made. That's the first thing. How can I keep the progress I've made so far. As Warren Buffett says, it's more important to keep what you made than letting it go. I don't know that exact quote, how he phrased it, but it's in that sense. Like, Don't focus on more and more and more, and then you lose it. Focus on keeping those gains that you've made. <laughs> That's level one. Yeah. Level two, then, is progressing even further the next time you travel. So there are like levels to this. Can I hold my weight, hold my progress? Can I drop it next time? Right, so you go in sequence. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is also making the choice in advance, again, goes into mindset that, hey, yes, I'm traveling, but that shouldn't be an excuse for me to throw the towel and just, you know, say, fuck it, I'm going to back, get back on track when I'm back. No, like, how can I make better choices? Because ultimately traveling or, or staying fit while traveling is just a skill set, nothing else. Yeah. If you really think about it. <clears throat> so with that mental framework in mind, what I would do then is, it depends on the travel, right? If it's like a two-day trip, it's very different than a one or two-week trip. But let's say it's a one-week trip, like a regular trip, one week. I would always look in advance all the things that are controllable. So does my hotel or my Airbnb, the place I'm going, my condo, have a gym? Yes or no? If not, is a gym nearby? Or if you don't work out with a gym, can I take bands? Can I take a bar with me? Can I take you know, some equipment with me? Will I do a body weight, weight workout? Like, look at the habits that you're doing and how can you sustain them there? 
it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to make sure that you're still showing up and keeping the habit. You don't want to lose the habit. When you lose momentum, it's five times harder to regain it. Five times harder, guys. So first is the workout. Is it body weight? Is it gym? Is it a, like, where are you going to do it? And if it's outside, how far is it? If it's more than a 10, 15 minute walk to the gym, you're most likely not going to go there. So get it close. Best if, is it, if it's in-house. Hotel gym, again, doesn't have to be perfect, but make sure the workout gets done. Then the steps. Is there like a park? I go in Google Maps all the time and look, is there a park? Okay, there's a park. I could go there or, you know, let's say um, here's my hotel and here's the conference. Can I book the hotel a little bit further away so I can walk more in the morning to that conference, to the networking event that I'm going, to the mastermind, whatever you're doing? Or if it's a vacation, then it's completely different. And third thing is then food, which will be the hardest thing. So how will my eating be? Will it be uh, in a restaurant, everyday new one? <clears throat> Will it be provided by someone? Will it be fall in my control? And then I would always look what are the controllable and non-controllable variables and focus on the controllable first. What can I control? And make sure that the meals I can control are very protein rich because the meals I can't control are mostly not protein rich, right? And make sure they're protein rich, get that protein intake there, also control your hunger. And then the other meals make better choices there. Not perfect, but better choices. And then you have sleep and stress and, you know, hard to get the perfect sleep routine in when you're on the road or just traveling, very hard. So, uh, I mean, there's still tips there, but we don't need to go into that for now. And stress, that one really depends where you're at. If you're in holidays, it will be less. If you're somewhere else, it can be more. And the four and four breathing, that's what I would do there. But the most important things are like what I said before with nutrition, workouts, and um, the steps, really planning a little bit ahead. You want to be proactive and not reactive. And if you plan ahead, it's actually very easy to make good progression during traveling. I always say the one of the clients I work with, Andy, he holds the record in my group for the most lost weight ever, 90 pounds. And he travels about one week a month. So anyone, anyone who says like, ah, oh, well, the record holder travels a week. What's your excuse? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and, and the uh, way, I mean, uh huh. I was just going to say in all of this it comes down to, you know, if you're not really committed to a certain level in your fitness and health, none of this is going to matter <laughs> because it's, uh, and I mean, I think we all know that, but at the same time, sometimes we're frustrated with ourselves and in our current reality ourselves. And the truth is, is you really just haven't made a real commitment. Um, because like you said, it's, it's, it's hard enough to do it when you're home. Um, if you're traveling on top of it, then 
you know, like you said, a lot of times people will just be like, oh, it's just an excuse not to, and I'll get back to it when I get it back home or whatever. Well, I mean, it's just really coming down to you're not committed to a result. You haven't even identified mm-hmm. it really. And then yet you're frustrated with yourself. I mean, think of the torment you're putting yourself through. You're frustrated with the results, but yet you still have, you haven't committed to, to any kind of a re- result. And so you're, that's a bad place to live. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You should never be unhappy with the results for the work that you didn't put in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're right. It boils down to commitment. Yeah. So traveling truly tests your commitment. It does. Definitely. How committed are you to sticking to the plan? And again, it's not about being perfect. Right. <clears throat> but it's about growing the skill set. Yeah. Can you get more skilled? during this travel compared to the next travel, yep. are you getting bad and bad and better? Again, if we take again, Andy who dropped 90 pounds, then his first travel sucked. Like sure. it was really bad. Yeah. And then he got better and better and better. And now sometimes he says like, Hey, here's my plan. Monday, Tuesday, he sends like plan of the week or what he's going to do during travel. And their review is like, dude, like, exactly what i would do even better than i would do it he's done it so many times right yeah. in that those one half years and a lot is really planning but planning will not happen as nate said without commitment yeah and then you sharpen the skills and next time you know like oh i should do this and this and this and this better yeah. during my next trip and that's it um well, maybe you could talk a little bit about, I guess, I don't know. I'm kind of interested in if you could talk about the kinetic method because so many people have tried so many things. Again, when they say try, right, how committed were they really to the result? Or maybe maybe it was a true commitment, but it was so unrealistic and unsustainable, right, when they finish that they just crash and go hard all the way back. Um, and this, we're just getting inundated with so many different methods or programs and you don't even know what to believe anymore right um so you know because i want you to talk about the kinetic method because it's really it's not ever what it's it's counterintuitive to a a a degree because it's like i've been I, i was lifting weights and in the gym every day basically no i wasn't going crazy hard wasn't there for for long periods of time but i it was just a normal routine for me to go in and lift weights every day. And then, you know, if I'm running a lot too, then I'm running and then all the running I'm doing, I'm not seeing a ton of results for all the running that I'm doing. Um, but the kinetic method, when it came along, it's, and I know a lot of your clients have this, uh, it's hard for them to really buy into it or to really believe that it will work. Um, because it, it does go against so much of what they've been told or heard. Right. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about the simplistic, but awesomeness to what you've created and put together. Do you mean to break down like the, oh, the, the schedule of it? Is that what you're saying or what exactly? I don't know. I mean, whatever detail you'd want to go in with it. I've definitely shared, you know, I mean, basically I I live three days a week Mm -hmm. uh, at a minimum, 
my goal is to get 10,000 steps a day and, you know, and then there's drinking the water, there's focusing on the sleep. I mean, there's so many things that we definitely look into and focus on and then tracking what I eat. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, most people I think have the tendency, well, if I work out three times a week, then if I just go a little bit harder and do it six times a week, the results going to be better. Right. Or if I do 10,000 steps, well, if I just do 20,000 steps a day, then that should be double the results or whatever. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. we always want to complex things. Okay. Uh, I can also <clears throat> speak on it from my perspective too, because, you know, since I'm not a client, you know, I've heard, I've been following Mauro for a year or two, but so I think I understand kinetic, but you know, when you talk about steps, that was kind of a, a shift for me in my thinking that, you know, cause when I think of cardio, you know, I, I've either got to do a hit workout, high intensity interval training workout, or I've got to get my weights in and I got to go do some cardio, which is pound the pavement and do some running. But from talking to Nate, it's more of just getting steps, like walking a lot or is that, is that the case? Am I thinking of it the right way? That it's not necessarily true cardio? Yes, I'm just searching the graphic, but um, I'm having really hard times to to find the graphic here, but that's fine. So there are like, there are four pillars, right? And <coughs> if we talk about the cardio or the steps, which is one pillar, it's the activity. And the reason we don't do cardio, like in very rare, like really rare cases, it's needed. Maybe 1%, if not less. Uh, the reason we don't do it is not that the cardio is not effective. Cardio works and cardio burns more calories, about two times more calories than walking at the same time. So people would say like, why wouldn't I do it? Well, have you ever been to a run or on a bike? or swimming for 30 minutes? Let, let, let me ask that. Yeah, let me direct that question to you, Michael. Yeah, yes, I have. Okay, yeah. and what, what happens after? Uh, I'm drained, I'm, I'm tired. And what else? Uh, I do have that a little bit of euphoria, like, okay, I accomplished something, so a pat on the back, like, all right, I got my cardio in, but uh, I'm definitely not hungry. No, that's, okay. Yeah. I was expecting to say that because most people, when, when they do cardio, they're way more hungry, way, way more hungry. And what's the thing you don't want to be when you're cutting hungry, because now you have a tendency to overeat. So you can burn the same amount of calories with walking. It's less effective if you look at time efficiency, it will take you more time and will burn less calories, but it will not make you hungry. I can walk, uh, this morning I walked 7,000 steps in one row and it was like an hour walk or a little bit less. Yeah, it was less and zero hunger. If I run the same route, I guarantee you, I'll come home, I'll be very hungry. Now, you may be the exception, Michael, but most people, their self-control and hunger will be really bad when they run, really, really bad. And that's the main reason I don't recommend it. 
Second reason is for every pound, every one pound that you're overweight is four extra pounds pressure per knee. So you really don't want that every time you're running. Walking doesn't do that. What, what walking does, though, is, <clears throat> yes, it helps with burning calories. It helps with digestion, which running won't. You won't be, you know, in that state when you're running that fast. Where when you're walking, you optimize digestion. So gut health is improved. And blood sugar levels are improved as well. So really big benefits here with the walking and you can eat more so you don't have to walk but you would have to cut calories a lot lower if you wouldn't put in the steps and that's why i pick walking so the trainer of usain bolt says keep your highs high and keep your lows low what he means by that is the tasks that are intensive, such as lifting weights, right? They should be high in terms of intensity, as high as you can go. The tasks that are not as intensive, like cardio, they sh you should keep them really low. So low, slow, long versus short and intensive, which are the workout sessions, which is pillar two. And the workout, Nate already touched on it. It's three times a week. And they're like 30, 40 minutes, maybe, maybe longer. Some people said like, yeah, you know, you said 30 minutes, takes me 50. It's like, mm, such a dry, <clears throat> I'm sorry such a dry throat. Um, it, it can take a little bit longer if you're like at the gym, the machines are occupied and you have to take away five plates because there was like a pro bodybuilder before or you have to walk up and down. So let's just say three times a week, max an hour. For most people, it's less, but max an hour. And um, we, we have first like some, the first two workout series for most people, they will be like, they, they will do like the groundwork to get, um, to get the basic foundation in. So it's very low volume training and very high intensity. You take it to failure or beyond failure, the workout. And you do it three times a week. That's the frequency. So you have intensity high, volume low, frequency low, three times a week. Train, you train each muscle group two times a week, maybe three times a week. If it's a smaller one, like arms or like lower back will be touch points of upper lower body and so on. And what, what we'll do um, with these workouts is the first two workouts, which rotate in six weeks, they focus... Um, First, on some foundational uh, movements, as I said before, to get the routine in, the intensity, knowing what it means to take it to failure, form is optimized. And then after the first two, we go, to, we go over 
um, to specialization splits. And specialization splits, I give full credit to Lyle McDonald for that. He taught me that. He taught that 20 years ago, and everyone stole it from him and claimed it as their method, Kinobody and tons of other guys. So like, ah, this is my thing. And uh, I always give credit to him for that. He's a brilliant man, probably the best, um, probably the best or smartest person in the fitness industry, in my opinion. And basically, you rotate it every six weeks, and you take one upper and one lower body muscle group, and you focus on overloading that. So you overload that. Let's say you pick chest for six weeks, and all the other muscle groups are maintenance. Then you rotate to shoulders. Shoulder overload, everything maintenance. So you use all the protein <coughs> to grow the muscle you want to overload for upper body and lower body. And then you rotate, rotate, rotate. This way you have one focus um, per area that you want to improve. And this is really beneficial, not just to mix things up with the workouts, but the real benefit is to work on your weaknesses. So most workouts, they will just focus always on chest and bicep, chest and bicep. You see guys are like really broad with big biceps and big packs, but they have like weak shoulders, weak lat, weak back, weak glutes whatsoever. And here we look at progress photos and say like, oh, well, Nate, for you, we, we talked about that, Nate. You know, we can go into detail, but I told you, hey, Nate, your next two workouts will be this and this because here's where I see, you know, your two areas of improvement that are the biggest. So for me, I know it, it's my uh, shoulders, right? Uh, they're just the weakest area. Why? Because for so many years, I used to train the wrong way uh, and just did like, you. I would always start a workout with the big muscle groups uh, for whatever reason. That's what everyone told, but it's really not that. You should start a workout with the muscle group you want to improve. That's the one you hit first. With all the energy, all the force, your central nervous system it's not um, overloaded, right? It's fresh. And um, that's the main jam behind it. Then there are ab routines and so on, but don't need to get into that. Uh, once people are out on a deficit, if they want, they can work out four times a week. I've had guys say, yeah, I want to work out more now. All right, uh, we'll do it. But three times a week is fine. Uh, the reason why three is because when you're deficit, you need good recovery. And four times can be really hard as entrepreneur with a stressful lifestyle. Yeah. So, and, and recovery really determines how hard you can push, how often you can work out. So most programs out there will be designed for like 20-year-old males, for, sorry, from 20-year-old males who don't do anything else but lift two hours a day at the gym. They sleep a little bit and, you know, rest and sleep again and eat six times a day it's like it's not realistic right like your recovery is very different from them your hormone profile is very different so we can't really compare that and that's why we should adopt a different routine because your lifestyle dictates your ability to get results and stay consistent um so let me just think here yeah, that, that's for the workout piece. And then the recovery piece, as Nate touched on it, we look at sleep and stress. So decompression routines, uh, no technology, uh, favorite habit, 
everyone. <laughs> and um, the breathing goes into that. Meditation goes into that. There are some supplements like the KSM 66 ashwagandha is really good for cortisol. It makes you like less emotional reactive. Like think about if you lost like $1 million and you would like freak out. Well, that freak out would be like a little bit less. So it keeps you more grounded. A very helpful supplement, not a magic pill to avoid the groundwork, but can help there as well. So that's in terms of recovery. Massage is really good. Getting massage, releasing pressure. I'm gonna get one in two hours. And uh, then we have sleep. So sleep happens what you do during the day, but also you know pre-sleep. So light is very important when you have your last meal. Uh, pre-sleep routine. There's like a whole training we could do <laughs> for that. Uh, I'll say this. I always knew sleep was important, but the real kicker came when I had a client and he was like, he was perfect with food, workouts, that like everything was perfect. And he would not drop. And there would also be like no change in progress photos. I was like, that can't be. <laughs> we lower calories and optimized activity and so on. Nothing would change. I'm like, okay. And then... I asked him, how's your sleep? Send me some sleep scores. And he was like sleeping five hours a night. So I said, okay. I thought, let's give it a shot. I thought maybe it will improve a little bit. So we worked really hard on his sleep. He dropped 10 pounds, no change in diet, nothing. It's like, wow, crazy. Now I'm not saying everyone will drop 10 pounds in a month um, if they work on their sleep, but that really opened my eyes how powerful it was, like literally no change in activity, diet, anything. But if we think about it in your sleep, right? Like your thyroid will be impacted, your testosterone levels, your metabolism, like there are so many things that happen. So let's not underestimate sleep. Yeah, definitely. And the last thing is nutrition. Uh, obviously, as Nate said, we track food. Make sure that food is tracked. It's like the not so sexy part, but that's what gets results. Calories and macros will be individually. We get in blood work, very important as a foundation to see like what's going on there uh, with the blood work. And the blood work will determine like the macros, means if someone is like super high, you know, insulin resistant, type 2 diabetic, and so on, his carbs level will be lower. If like he's lean, 10% uh, body fat, <clears throat> carbs level will be higher. We've got Dave. He's, um, he just, uh, he got like to 10%. He's been like in the muscle building phase for like four or five months now. And he's like at 3,200 calories with 347 grams of carb or so. So uh, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> um, not, that's not possible for everyone, but that shows when you're lean, you're very muscular, you're active, your carb tolerance goes up. And so the blood work will give us an indication where it could be most optimal for you. <clears throat> Shows us also what food quality should look like. If you have like a regular blood work, then you have more flexibility. I'm a fan, you know, you can be very flexible. Uh, if you have like autoimmune issues, you know, thyroid issues or 
other stuff going on, gut health issues, you're more narrow. You know, gluten, dairy, alcohol, like those are like the three big triggers for your body. Should I wouldn't say cut them out forever, but really below there. But again, depends on the blood work. Uh, nutrition is optimized also for testosterone. So certain foods that boost T levels naturally because of their micronutrients, like zinc, boron, that's inside selenium, Brazil nuts, and so on. Um, and then the timing of the meals plays a big role. As I've talked about it before, we kind of back cycle the carbs, keeps blood sugar stable during the day. So energy stable, no cravings. And then at night, we reintroduce carbs, starches, and fruits. And when what happens is when you have carbs at night, you lower uh, blood sugar level, sorry, you lower cortisol. Because when um, you eat carbs, remember, perf goes up, your body releases insulin. When insulin is released, then cortisol goes down. And you want lower cortisol at night so you can sleep better. So that's, I know it was longer, uh, maybe more than what you asked for, but there's really no, no one marketing uh, line like, oh, we do this magic bullet. It's, uh, it's very holistic, <coughs> very data-driven. And uh, it takes a lot of work and it's not for most people. So, yeah, that, I mean, you know, and uh, you do an incredible job uh, of just being a coach and, and the accountability and, and really checking in and, you know, I mean, there's a system and then there's the implementation and the application and, and, and so, yeah, I love it. I appreciate you. I do have to get going. I got to go get my kids from school, but uh, this has been great. Uh, appreciate your time and uh, can't thank you enough, man. Yeah. Thanks, Mara. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for the great questions. And if there are any more questions, then you can send them to Nate and I'm happy to answer those. Yeah, absolutely. Or you could connect with Mara too and uh, either way. So other than that, have a good day, you guys, and we'll catch you around later. Thanks, Marl. Thank you. Have a good day.